friends, welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Zach and Krista Horton, and we're back. This is episode 40, which isn't really true. It's episode something. <laughs> it's episode 100. Don't worry about it. Something or other. We do know that we have about 10 episodes less left this year. Didn't you tell me that, Zach? I think so. Um, whoa, crazy. Um, but this week we're studying 3rd Nephi 27, finishing out 3rd Nephi, and getting into 4th Nephi. So, kind of crazy. Low this week. We've been doing this highs and lows, right? This one has been driving me nuts for weeks. The low is insufficient um, laptop charging cable lengths. Why is it? Who is it that came up with the universal length? It's all laptop chargers that are like five feet and a frustrating inches amount or frustrating amount of inches every single laptop cord you plug it into the wall you sit down on the couch you pull the laptop cord over and it comes to like two-thirds of the way and it's always on the opposite side of your screen so it's not the cord that it doesn't plug into the left side it plugs in mine plugs into the right side so if i want to plug it in here and i'm sitting on the left side of the couch the outlet's on the left side and i'm trying to bring the cord it comes like two-thirds of the way across my screen so then i have to decide do i go and sit on the ground next to the outlet do I angle my screen in a weird way so that I can plug it in over there? Do I try and go find somewhere else in the house where there's an outlet on the right side? And sit next... Anyway, tell me out this, there that someone feels my pain. That doesn't bother you at all, does it? I'm not passionate this about this at all. This isn't really annoying, just a little bit. This is bit. the low of lows. There is literally, literally nothing worse than having a cable that charges my laptop that's my personal computer on my lap that helps me access to everything in the world think, and the cable is not long enough literally nothing I worse think, than that in you the know world. i will solve your problem because i think that is the reason at least one of them i became a floor sitter i prefer sitting on the floor to do almost anything and i think that was where it might have been the root of where that began is the cords to start my start carrying on a big ugly orange extension cord with me just in protest to the laptop charging that's a great protest people. to have maybe we shouldn't do these lows you might get a little too passionate about it <laughs> <laughs> okay well now that you heard that <laughs> on that happy note <laughs> Uh, we are actually excited to study. Let's talk about a happy civilization in 4th Nephi. <laughs> yeah. They did talk not have those. any computer cord problems. And they uh, devolved into utter chaos and destruction at the end of 4th <laughs> Nephi. Because of that. No, this is a fascinating block because uh, of the highs and lows in the block. Uh, this is the end of Jesus' ministry to the people of Nephi. And when the book of 4th Nephi begins, um, they are happy... For hundreds of years. In fact, I listened just yesterday to Elder Cook's conference talk, and he points out about this very block of scriptures that uh, it is right now 200 years since Joseph Smith's first vision. And in 4th Nephi, it is in the 201st year, so it's 200 years, where they live in peace after the Savior's visit to them. And it's in the 201st year that they... Uh, that things start going bad. And of course, it doesn't take long before the entire civilization crumbles. Now, Elder Cook's point isn't that our civilization is going to crumble. 
uh, his point is that like that moment in history, 2000 or 201 years after the coming of Christ, that moment was a hinge point for them. Similarly, this moment in time is a hinge point for us. And so this is a fascinating block of scripture to study in our current year, when of course with everything going on, because I think it can help us make sense of this hinge point year in our personal lives and our family lives and in the world and uh, maybe make some things happen for us. So, Well, it's kind of interesting because President Nelson, he mentioned that hinge point. Mm-hmm. Was it last conference? Maybe it was a year ago now. Um, and here we are, honestly, at this, I think hinge point is a, is a great word mm-hmm. for it because we've all been forced to reevaluate, step away from our normal routines in a way that we would have never really imagined. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I just, as For you were us. saying that, I just thought, yeah. Yeah. So what I thought of as I started my um, preparation, uh, I had a couple of thoughts that came into my head kind of in rapid fire succession. The first one was um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we baptized our second son, Rowan. And it was interesting to watch the difference between our second son and our first son and their baptisms. So Finn is our oldest son and he is very, very talkative. So I remember during his baptismal interview, he talked nonstop. It was one question asked to him and he just went off and he could, he could have talked for hours. Rowan, however, is a little bit more solemn and to the questions he was asked, he gave pretty simple, straightforward, even single word answers. <laughs> and the bishop, yes. the bishop was kind of taken <laughs> aback. He, I think he said to Rowan, like, Rowan, you're a pretty, pretty serious guy, aren't you? But then the bishop asked, Rowan, do you have any questions? And then Rowan lit up and he had a bunch of questions. And they were really good questions. That's the first thought that came into my head. Uh, Rowan's questioning. The second was two days ago, I think it was. Finley was reading his scriptures in the morning and he was wandering around the house reciting James 1, 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And he was walking around just reciting that over and over. And the third thought that came into my head was, uh, I think it was three years ago when the youth theme was Ask of God. They, the church made a little video to introduce the youth theme and it showed all of these youth asking their questions and then putting them up, I think they were sticky notes or they were cards or something, and they put them up on this big whiteboard. And the idea being, we all have questions and we can bring them and ask God. Those three thoughts kind of came together in rapid succession, like I said, because in these chapters, you have a very real example of this group of Nephite apostles in chapter 28 asking God and him actually being there to answer. He's physically present with them. So chapter 28, verse 1, it came to pass that when Jesus had said these words, he spake unto the disciples one by one, saying unto them, what is it that you desire of me after I am gone to my, uh, gone to the Father? Ask of me whatever you will ask in righteousness, I will give you. That's repeated repeatedly repeated, repeatedly. It's repeated many times in the scriptures. And they all spake, save it were three, saying, we desire that after we have lived to the age of a man, that our ministry, wherein thou hast called us, may have an end, that we may speedily come unto thee in thy kingdom. 
And he said unto them, Blessed are you, because you have desired this thing of me. Therefore, after that you have se- uh, after that you are seventy-two and years old, you shall come unto me in my kingdom, and with me you shall find rest. And when he had spoken unto them, he turned himself to the three and said to them, What will ye that I should do unto you when I am gone unto the Father? And they sorrowed in their hearts, for they durst not speak unto him the thing which they desired. And he said unto them, Behold, I know your thoughts. You have desired the thing which John, my beloved, who was with me in my ministry before I was lifted up by the Jews, desired of me. Therefore, more blessed are ye, for you shall never taste of death, but shall live to behold all the doings of the Father unto the children of men, even until all things shall be fulfilled according to the will of the Father, when I shall come in my glory with the powers of heaven. A very real tangible example of individuals bringing their desires to the Lord and him answering them. And so what we wanted to do in this episode is flip or maybe put ourselves in the scriptures. What if you were there in second and third Nephi 28 verse one, and Jesus asked you directly, what do you want me to do for you? What is your desire that I would give unto you? Oh man, that's kind of a hard one just to really think about. I think these people had the advantage, and I shouldn't say had the advantage because technically we have the advantage because we have the scriptures, but they had been with him. Mm. They had been around him. He had been teaching and they'd been interacting with him in all of these ways, which maybe maybe he asked them this because he could feel that they had something pressing, generally Mm -hmm. speaking. I don't know. I would like to think that if I were more immersed in that, that I would have a better answer. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you have a good one. Well, I don't. Uh, Well, (laughs) I have many desires. I was going to say, I I do. I have a lot of desires. What am I saying? (laughs) I definitely would have something to say. And maybe let's do this first. Before we start, uh, before we answer that question ourselves, because it's only fair that we answer our own question, um, one preliminary point that I think helps identify those desires. So it's interesting to me that two desires are not necessarily named. The first group mentions their desire. The second group doesn't. But of course, Jesus knows their thoughts and can discern what their desire is. But two desires here. One, we want to serve until it's time for us to pass away. And then after we pass away, we want to come and live in the kingdom with you. And Jesus says that is a blessed desire. But the three desire to not pass away, to continue their service on the earth and uh, to be transfigured and are translated and to continue to serve on the earth. And to that desire, the Savior says that it is more blessed. And I've kind of racked my brain and my, my study on what is it that makes that desire more blessed? Is it a more blessed desire to never want to die? Is it a more blessed desire to want to be like John? What is it? And I think at least one answer is in verse 9. Um, after he explains to them the way that this translation is going to work, you won't taste of death, uh, you won't have sorrows, save it be the sorrows or the sins of the world. And all this will I do because the thing which you have desired of me, for you have desired, and then here it is, here is the desire I think that they actually have. You have desired that you might bring the souls of men unto me while the world shall stand. I think the thing that makes their desire so blessed is that it is focused on other people. And so 
we want to answer the question of what are our desires in this episode. But of course, the power of your study will be or will come to you as you ask that question of yourself. What is it that you desire of the Lord? What things do you desire for yourself? Of course. But what things do you desire for other people, for your family, for your friends, for the community that you live in? And um, if we can maybe work on those desires or be, be realize them, um, maybe we can take the first step down the road of, of reaching out to the Lord and Him granting those desires. Well, I think what's unique about this question in regards to this specific study is we're looking specifically at 4th Nephi where we know that this is a civilization that thrived, that followed the commandments, that was blessed and that prospered. Um, It's pointed out, like he mentioned in Elder Cook's talk, it's pointed out as this society that thrived because they were following what Jesus Christ did. And so they had righteous desires as well. Mm -hmm. They were doing that. And that's kind of, I think, where we wanted to go with this was in 4th Nephi, it's a pretty what is it, uh, a pretty, I want to say normal, a pretty often studied chapter to look at that. What did these people do that made them happy, that made them feel unity and contentment together? Never were there a happier people. Right. Um, and so as we looked at this idea of these desires, um, we just couldn't help but feel that these, a lot of these desires, the, at least the desires that we were finding, were what these people were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what we can do in our own hearts, but also what we desire for the world. Um, anyway, I loved reading these, this, or I, I loved thinking of fourth Nephi. I think never in my life have I prayed so often for the world Mm -hmm. as a general, like even helping my three-year-old daughter say her prayer please bless the world that people can feel peace. We need, we need that. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a really applicable study to look at fourth Nephi and maybe just think, what did they do to fulfill those desires? I'm, I'm probably belaboring this question, but I think that, um, fourth Nephi is a really, dare I say, special chapter for that reason, but it really is. So, so what's, what's your answer then? Yeah. So mine comes actually just in that, very beginning of fourth Nephi. Um, it's actually verse one. It says, and it came to pass that the 30 and fourth year passed away and also the 30 and fifth. And behold, the disciples of Jesus had formed a church of Christ in all the lands round about. And as many as did come unto them and did truly repent of their sins were baptized in the name of Jesus. And they did also receive the Holy ghost. And honestly, that's, that's my first desire is to know how to come unto him and to know that it's working and to see myself coming unto him and feeling that I can truly repent of my sins, Hmm. that I'm laying my, my sins and my um, faults and all of those things at his feet and knowing that, it's working, and then I'm coming unto him. It's that's inter- that's my desire. It's interesting the word truly repent. We just, the story of since Helaman, 
and all the way through Third Nephi is this up and down of righteousness, wickedness, pride, humility, over and over mm-hmm. and over again within generations. And for the first time in who knows however many hundreds of years, we finally have a people that have truly repented as a whole nation to where they're going to have 200 years of peace. That's multiple generations that have changed to their core. And so I, that's a great desire to have, the not just to come to Christ, but to truly repent, to make some changes that are permanent and long-lasting, and maybe will even outlive you. Yeah. And maybe I'll get a little personal on this, but also um, maybe a little surface level. <laughs> is I am sitting here preparing for this podcast and as we record, picking my fingers. I'm sure I've talked about this on the podcast before. I have a horrible nervous habit. It's been with me for like 10 years and it's it's come and gone, but mostly just stayed with me. And I think, how many of us have these annoying habits? That's just a surface level annoying habit I have. I have plenty of them. But, um, or that's annoying to me, I should say, that's that I want to truly repent of. But just as something as simple as, I really want to stop picking my fingers. I make my fingers bleed sometimes, and Zach's trying to tell me the whole time, stop it, stop it. And then I get annoyed at him. But, um, <laughs> and as many as did come unto them and did truly repent of their sins, that picking my fingers, that's a little example, but we know how that feels just to have those little nagging things that we really just want to truly repent of. Mm-hmm. That's my desire. Then I, wonder I like if, to know it's possible. I wonder if that's part of the contributing factor to that statement that never were there a happier people uh, among all of the children, all the people that God had created because it's a people that had finally changed. Mm-hmm. Well, my desire, if I were to focus on a selfless one, I have plenty of selfish desires, but if I'm focusing on a selfless one, one that oh, I have... Oh, great. You're for... going selfless, and I went no, selfish. No, no. I just mean, if I wanted to, to focus on one that makes a difference for other people, for my family, for, for the, the society that I live in, and, and if it's not too big to say for the world that we live in. My desire is this. This is 4th Nephi verse 3. They had all things common among them. Therefore, there were not rich and poor, bond and free, but they were all made free and partakers of the heavenly gift. In verse 17, there were no robbers nor murderers, Neither were there Lamanites, nor any manner of ites, but they were in one, the children of Christ, and heirs to the kingdom of God. I look at that and love it. I love that in this utopian culture that is instigated by Christ and then promulgated by the people's obedience to his teachings and gospel, that it creates a society where divisions disappear. Now, there's a caution with this. I know that groups are important. It is important for people to identify with certain groups. It's important for individuals to feel like they are part of a larger group. However, the double-edged sword with creating any group, whether it's a racial group or a social group or a 
a football team or a political group, the double-edged sword is that does give the people in that group an identity, but it also creates an almost or maybe often overwhelming temptation to focus on the differences between groups instead of the similarities between them. Uh, I had an experience earlier this week um, to be involved in an interfaith discussion with some um, students at a Hebrew academy, a local Hebrew uh, high school. And it was wonderful. It was a question and answer. They were asking uh, us and some of the missionaries that were with us questions uh, about the church. And it was wonderful to see how much we had in common, even though we belonged to two different religious groups. Um, I felt the Spirit powerfully as we talked about things that we had in common, our mutual love for God, our respect for His anointed prophets, uh, our desire to adhere to the commandments, um, our, our willingness to help others and to reach out and make the world a better place. And with so many great things that unite us, there's no place left to focus on the differences. There's no, there's no point in focusing on them. And so I love that with this group of people, of course there's differences. People still look different. They still talk different. They still have different cultures and ideas, but they don't focus on those differences. The ites disappear and they are all one in Christ. The reverse of this is also true. In verse 20, everything is great in 4th Nephi until verse 20. And it says that um, Amos kept the record and he kept it 80 and four years and there was still peace in the land. And then here's the first hint at something going wrong. Save it were a small part of the people who had revolted from the church and taken upon them the name of Lamanites. Now, those people didn't change their physical appearance. They, they looked, they've always looked different or they've talked different or they've thought different, whatever it was. But for the first time, they start focusing on the differences so much that they delineate themselves from their brothers. And that is the beginning of a pretty quick downhill slope for this people until verse 26, they began to be divided into classes. They began to build up churches unto themselves to get gain and began to deny the true church of Christ until eventually the whole civilization is destroyed. And so a very long-winded way of saying, my desire is unity, a unity that recognizes individual differences, praises them, respects them, but a unity where we focus so much more on the things that unite us and bring us together rather than the things that divide us. I love thinking about unity in that way. It, I mean, just as we've talked about briefly about that, um, exchange that you were able to have. Um, it's so inspiring to be inspired by other people's devotions. Mm -hmm. That was the thing that I came away with from that was just thinking, I want to be a better person because of how they are living their life. And I think that's just can be so powerful in as we try and find what type of desires we want to have is that um, our desires can be the same as someone else's even if they're achieved differently. In fact, this is just a brief side note, but um, at a at an interfaith lecture series I participated in at uh, BYU a couple of years ago, 
the person organizing this lecture series, there were visiting speakers from all different religions. There was a Jewish rabbi that kind of kicked things off for us. There was the Catholic Bishop of Utah, which was a very uh, big deal and great honor to have him there. And then there were other various leaders of different denominations. But the, uh, the, the professor that organized this interfaith lecture series stated that one of the goals that BYU, this church school has, is that when someone comes to BYU from a different religion, that BYU makes them a better member of their own religion. In other words, uh, if, a, if a Protestant comes to BYU, their associations at BYU should make them a better Protestant. And I thought that's such a beautiful way to see differences and to respect them, and yet to focus on the fact that we all have a common desire to better ourselves, better our families, and better the world. Hopefully that's it, right? Hopefully, yeah. Well, can I say one more desire? No, I'm sorry. You can only have one. <laughs> I don't know why that was funny. Because <laughs> it was. Um, and we're not editing this out either. It wasn't funny. It was very but funny. <laughs> maybe we're tired. <laughs> we're never tired. Okay. Well, I will anyway. Wait, you did, oh yeah, you said I could. You can have, you have permission. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, so just in verse five, um, I'll read it. And there were great and marvelous works wrought by the disciples of Jesus, insomuch that they, they did heal the sick and raise the dead and cause the lame to walk and blind to receive their sight and the deaf to hear and all manner of miracles did they work among the children of men. And in nothing did they work miracles, save it were in the name of Jesus. I think the desire that I read into that for me, and like we were talking about for the world, <laughs> is um, that these things were done in the name of Jesus, that they, they worked miracles because of him. And I think the world needs more Jesus right now. Um, and I, I love the words that... Um, kind of stood out to me great and marvelous works they healed they raised they walked sight hear um those are words that i think i don't know why i like those words but they're just those Things uplifting words yeah we uplifting more words more and people to walk more people to see more people to hear more people to experience miracles more people to heal yeah and um I like, it, to put it simply, I think that what I desire more of in this world, there's a lot of good, but a lot more Jesus isn't going to hurt anything. So that's what I desire more of, and in, in my own life too. Well, in fact, maybe if you get another desire, I get another one. Um, though this is kind of the overarching desire of all of this. Um, I This sounds more impressive than I mean it to sound, but I was studying today the condescension of God, <laughs> which just means I was reading in Third ne or in First Nephi chapter eleven, when Nephi is trying to figure out what the tree of life means, and the angel shows him the birth of the Savior, and then asks Nephi, "Do you know what this is? Do you know what the condescension of God is?" And Nephi originally answers, "I don't know," but then he understands this image you're showing me of of uh, the birth of this savior is the God of heaven who condescends or comes down and chooses to be mortal, to be born immortal, to live immortal, and to die immortal life. 
Well, the answer to why he does that is in verse 14 in chapter 27. The Savior explains, My Father sent me that I might be lifted up on the cross. And after that I have been lifted up on the cross, that I might draw all men unto me, that as I have been lifted up by men, even so should men be lifted up by the Father. In other words, Christ condescended and came down below all things, as Doctrine and Covenants explains, so that he could then lift all things. Looking at everything that's going on in our world today, we need more Jesus, specifically because he is the only person that can lift things um, from the way that they are to where they where they could be, where they can be, where they should be. So maybe the desire we can all join in together is that this Jesus, who has already condescended below all things, including our current trials and difficulties, can lift us and those around us and lift the world. Thank you so much for studying with us this week. Um, We hope that this is the beginning of a great study for you, one that helps you connect with your own desires, realize what they are, and maybe even start seeing them uh, be fulfilled by a God who is all too interested in fulfilling righteous desires. Thank you for studying with us, and we'll see you next week.